This is the Creative Code Budapest podcast. My name is Declan Hannigan, and I'm joined today by Paul Oman from 4D Sound. We're sitting here in a little office, just ready for our Creative Code meetup. And around us, you can hear lots of sound. I'm going to let you listen to the sounds around us for a moment. Paul, you work in the field of sound. Tell me a little bit about what's going on around us now. Well, we're sitting in a small room and, well, we hear actually, I would say, two sources very clearly. On our right, there's a door and there's quite some busyness next to us, people walking back and forth. And on our left, there is a window to the street and we hear the cars passing by. So it's already uh, an interesting question to actually consider how come that we still localize that a car goes back and forth, you know, where actually all those vibrations are passing through the window. Same on our, on our side here. How does that sound travel through a door? Um, and we're still able to tell um, whether the person is further away or, well, I'm dealing with these kind of aspects, um, trying to understand the dimensionalities of our listening, how, um, how we recognize certain things, uh, how we recognize things positioned in space, so with regards to their distance to us, their, whether they are large or, or small compared to us. And uh, yeah, these kind of phenomena, like how vibrations pass through different circumstances and how that affects us. Tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in the world of sound? Well, we are all very much involved in the world of sound, I would say. <laughs> so, um, everybody is involved in the in sound, basically from the, you'd say, from the very origins of of our lives. Um, so I also like to see it like that. So my work with sound, I like to see it as a as a way to personally grow and personally evolve. So you could say I, I also feel I have been working with sound from when I was very young, uh, definitely interested in music, but yeah, also just the, the being busy with the, the awareness of listening and the kind of context around that. So initially, um, I yeah, developed myself as a composer for music, theater, opera. And um, in this context, I started to experiment a lot with the presence of sound in spaces. So I felt it's as important to have a physical actor on stage as it is to have, you know, physical appearances of sound in the room. Like we're, we're, yeah, we're creating a, um, an experience where these sounds need to feel real. And well, even the very simple thing of an actor speaking on stage, you ideally don't want to hear that actor speaking from a, a large speaker system, which is frontal. Um, uh, because it sort of disturbs your yeah your your direct physical and emotional connection with what's happening on stage. Uh, I think everybody can kind of feel that. But uh, in the theater work I did, it went a lot further. So we were experimenting a lot with site-specific theater, theater that would not happen frontally on a stage, but rather on a in a particular place where the audience would be invited to explore the place themselves. Uh, and uh, yeah, and come very close to, to, to actors being actually part of the scenery. So there the question of how do you distribute sound became much, much more sensitive. And uh, yeah, I felt I was really walking into walls with the possibilities I was given, let's say, with 
a 5.1 surround or placing some arbitrary speakers in the room to try to create some spatiality. Um, so the, the um, it started for me sort of formulating the problem I was bumping into uh, uh, repeatedly. Yeah, it's interesting because we, we kind of were satisfied with stereo for a long time and in a lot of ways still are with, you know, our simple headphones. Um, but the first time, you know, the first time I kind of got introduced to the possibility of, of there being more to the world, the world than that was when I was making a film and we went in to do a 5.1 mix. And, and even for me, doing the 5.1 mix in a, in, a, in a proper kind of cinema space was like a whole new revelation of how sound can actually add so much to a narrative and, and you can, you know, solve editing and story problems by the sound placed in the right place. Yeah. Um, but but 5.1 is not enough for you, Paul. <laughs> no, no, it's not enough because uh, well, I mean 5.1 gives gives some spatial distribution. So when you sit in that room, you feel okay. Things are not just coming uh, from one direction. You know, there's some embedding in the space. Um, uh, nevertheless, sound doesn't really occupy the space, so you don't have the feeling the actor is sitting next to you on uh, on the chair, or you know that dog is just walking underneath your feet. That's one aspect of it. The um, uh, the other aspect I think has to do more with a, a more subtle quality of sound, which is the um, yeah a sort of warmth and 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 depth of sound that allows us to. Yeah, emotionally engage more with it, uh, not only consciously but also subconsciously. And um, I kind of formulated that the problem was it's not just how we set the speakers up in the room, but it's also the speaker itself. So the speakers, the way the industry produces speakers is, you know, very much aimed at dB per SPL, like how much how much uh, power do you get out of, of a speaker and can you address enough people you know, with an acceptable sound? And it, it, a lot of information gets lost in translation, so to say. So I felt we need a speaker that can sort of make itself invisible or inaudible, so to say, where the speaker itself is not an object that has its own characteristics and that we are actually very good in recognizing. Um, Instead, we need to create a, a system where we create a sort of transparent screen, a spatial three-dimensional screen where things can appear uh, without the medium actually being in the way. Um, so that was my ideal and took quite a few years. And, and, and I found some ways uh, both in, in uh, well, setting up uh, audio processing software, uh, but at the same time, we needed to find a hardware component that could allow us to do this. And we found this eventually using the, the OmniWave speakers. Yeah, I, I think I saw a picture on your website. of the, They don't look like what you'd imagine a speaker looks like, really, yeah. which is interesting. So they're not this planar, you know, one directional sound that we're kind of used to for a speaker. They look much different to that. Yeah, they are, well, sort of... Uh, how do you say a cylindrical uh, uh, and uh, speakers with a with a uh, speaker cone turned upside down? Um, they're rather small, um, and so the yeah the, the whole idea of energy distribution becomes very different. Like instead of getting uh, your energy out of uh, two or or a limited amount of points, you try to create a, a very equal grid with with many of these small speakers. And uh, yeah, they have this 
unique ability to be perfectly in phase everywhere where you are in the room. So you basically eliminate the aspect of a sweet spot where, uh, yeah, if you're not exactly in the center, you know, you would always tend to hear that speaker more than the other speaker. And then often the one that hears everything the best is the technician because he's sitting in the middle and he's saying, well, it sounds good to me. But <laughs> anywhere else in the room, uh, the balance is actually quite far. Um, so so uh, the kind of setups we started to design, they solved this problem and they allowed for a space where it actually made sense to walk around because you don't have to be in one place. The, the sort of spatial image that you are a part of, it stays uh, pretty much intact everywhere where you walk in the room. Yeah. And so as you walk around, you have a different experience of the performance then? Yes, exactly. So it becomes then, and that opens up this whole whole new realm of, of exactly narrative possibilities that, that there is not one narrative, there's not one perfect composition even, you know, where there's one person that is supposed to, to, uh, to, to hear that, ideally everybody in the center or in that sort of perfect place where everything is audible, but no, you have to create your own narrative. And there's many things to discover actually in the room. So the best kind of projects, they really make use of that um, to mobilize the listener to become the creator. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, it kind of gives power then to the audience as well. Like, and I guess interactive theater, which you kind of started in, uh, you kind of brought that through as well. Tell me a little bit about the projects that, that you that you're, were happy with, like the kind of projects you felt, felt good about. What have you been working on? Yeah, so I'm kind of starting from application with this in, uh, in let's say, larger theater productions. Well, we had the feeling that this is a medium that, is potentially interesting for a lot of different fields. And uh, yeah, we have been rather trying to create the platforms to kind of attract ideas from people to see what can you do with this. Yeah, th so th there has been a, a quite rich uh, palette of, of different concepts being developed with this. Uh, personally, like one of my favorite formats, which has kind of grown out of this, is the, yeah, the, sort, of the, the sort of durational overnight uh, performances that we started doing since uh, well basically 2014 putting people in a state where where they uh, yeah get very very comfortable in a space and actually make it their bedroom you know uh, collective bedroom um, uh, yeah brings people also in a in a, uh, in a yeah, particular state of mind a hypnagogic state you know state in between waking and dreaming where uh, those spatial images come alive even more. And uh, yeah, we started exploring that with actually with different artists. So people working with different kind of different kind of content to keep the listener just on that threshold throughout the night. Um, but also, you know, a very loved project of mine from artist um, Alisa Miserendino, who, who created a full 24 hour real time spatial recording of the Amazon. Um, so the, the, the time of the recording is exactly synced with the time of listening and you can sleep in the Amazon. And it's uh, very boring, you know, because for hours there's nothing changing. But if you settle in that environment, it, it really opens up. And there's, there's a meditation so much. to that then, isn't there? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. so it's, yeah. It's a, it's, it, it goes quite far from the idea of sound as entertainment. Uh, it rather creates spaces where 
yeah, people need to they need to retune, and if they're able to do that, they have a wealth of uh, experiences that they can tap into. I mean, it's it's interesting. There's, there's this kind of divide between sound and music. I mean, for you, like, when did that kind of the lines between those two things blur? Uh, the reason why I started designing the system, as I as I explained a bit earlier, is to to be able to to add to this narrative in theater. And once I did that, um, personally, I, I became more interested in the sort of uh, the phenomena of sound itself. So I, I you could say I sort of moved my career path from continuing as a composer to rather becoming a sound researcher. Um, uh, where I, I didn't find the theater that interesting anymore. It's still a very interesting application, don't get me wrong. But personally, I became more interested in to strip away all the, uh, yeah, the, the, all the surrounding and just look at the, yeah, observe the phenomena of how sound behaves in space. And I realized that we need much less, you know, we only need very simple inputs. And there's so much um, richness and detail coming out that we can start to explore and uh, yeah so again it, it's it's for me i think i see this also as a personal path of getting closer and closer to to find perception um discovering what that is you know how it works between the mind and the body and and the interaction with others in the space so yeah it's, it for me it became more a, a laboratory to explore the the possibilities of sound as a phenomena rather than than a, a tool for music making yeah yeah. And um, when you, you know, when you're starting to design uh, a soundscape or a space or an experience for people, um, what do you start with? Like, how complex is it to build something like this? Well, we, we try to develop the technology in a way that it's, it's quite easy to step in, let's say. So I would say uh, at minimum, you know, after a few days of, um, of training and getting to, to know all the possibilities, I think technically it's, it's relatively easy for somebody to, to control such an environment. So we worked very hard to, to, to kind of overcome that technical uh, hurdle because it is in essence quite complex, uh, but it doesn't have to be complex. I mean, we can all relate to spatial distances and dimensions. So that's also how we try to present the possibilities um, and not in you know, complex physics parameters of how sound propagates in space. So nevertheless, the creative side, I think, is, is, is a different story. So for people to, to really discover, I can honestly say, especially for, for artists who are, are uh, established, uh, I think it's harder because they, they're used to their own workflows, which they have developed over many years. And uh, they're confronted with a situation where everything is different. And they have to rediscover why and how they do things. So the creative side is is always takes takes a lot of time. Luckily, the technical side is not complex, you know. So there's more space to explore. Okay, what to for people to rethink how and why they create because those are the questions that are. I, I think it's a kind of question that we're, we're probably asking ourselves a lot too in this kind of creative code, this art and technology. Uh, world is um you know what what are the ideas like what's the what are the concepts where is the art uh within technology as well and it seems like you found a way to kind of make the technology simple enough for people to use and they, you need people to bring the the artworks then to kind of fill that out yeah yeah i think that's that's maybe so lucky from my position that i i don't i've always refused to let's say do the programming part myself 
Um, so nevertheless, I very much like working with, with uh, teams of coders. So it's a very important part of, of our work, you know, the, the, the development of, of source code. Uh, at the same time, I keep some distance to this. You know, I try to approach things from more from the phenomenological side uh, and the experience side. So with that input, you know, we try to make make uh, yeah the, the code useful. You know, from 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 this perspective, uh, I think I have sometimes the feeling that people who who do code they. You know, they obviously are in a very particular mindset to to create something, and I think it's very good to find interaction with somebody who has an explicitly different uh, angle to that. I think exactly at that crossroad, a lot of really great things can happen. And um, so, what kind of things do you have coming up? Like, what's exciting for you in the near future? Well, the um, at present, I have just opened the second laboratory in in Budapest. Um, besides the studio that we have been running for more than five years now in, in this city. And this laboratory is, um, it contains a new instrument that we have been developing over three years of time, which is based on the same technology, but it's, it's uh, you could say, a sort of, sort of uh, magnifier. Um, it's, it's a completely spherical speaker that you can sit inside and uh, yeah, I have these spatial experiences, but to an extremely, extremely uh, detailed degree. And uh, we see this mainly not so much as a public experience, but rather as a scientific instrument, because we have a very controlled environment where we can start to observe more precisely like how uh, the people's systems respond to sound, like what, what are the... Uh, yeah, what, what what happens in someone's brains or in, in 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 someone's body when they are exposed to certain phenomena? Because we know from experience there is definitely a lot going on, and research so far has shown that there is clear directions in this. So there's potential implications for for health, for for well-being, also in society, um, more and more awareness that there is a connection between sound and uh, and and health. So currently, I'm setting up a new lab. With uh, with new tools um, to further investigate that, and uh, this is this takes up a lot of my time right oh, that's now. That's very exciting. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a nice new development. Um, we do live in a very visually centric society in a lot of ways. Like we're very, you know, we have our Instagram and we have our Facebook posts, and we're very visually centric, and we're kind of neglecting the sound side of things. Like, and I liked your TED talk where you kind of brought people back through evolution. Um, um, what, what effects have you seen that sound has on people? Like, what's the things that you've seen so far with your research? Well, that's, you can say uh, the sound, and especially like audible sound, so the audible frequency range of sound has a very particular relationship to the, the, basically the whole structure and the dimensionality of the human body. Um, uh, so sound is very close to our physical being, our physical presence. And maybe that's also, uh, to take a big jump, but kind of understandable that in the society where we live in now, where we're so driven by digital means, by virtual environments, that we, it, we tend to ignore kind of the signals that our, um, that our deeper um, systems actually give to us. Um, so we see very clearly that sound brings people back 
to a sort of grounding. Um, and uh, there is, yeah, so the, the, um, also interesting, a little side road there, but uh, that, uh, for instance, sound in, in virtual reality experiences is, is a very tricky thing. Uh, because the eyes are very easy to trick, like so, it brings us in com to completely different galaxies. But uh, with the sound, it's it's much harder, uh, and and uh, sound is it's so inherently related to our balance, to our body, you know, the the ground we stand on, that uh, sound always brings us back. Um, and it's h harder to believe these virtual images because the, the, the real acoustical cues are very deeply ingrained in our bodies, nevertheless mostly subconscious. And so what we see in our research is that, that uh, there is defined effects of sound on, uh, let's say, stress relief on the, the homeostasis of the body, you know, the ability of the body to bring all of its integrated systems into a sort of perfect balance. Like sound has a positive effect on this and the implications of that, what kind of sound, uh, you know, how that's, this is ongoing research right now. It's fascinating what an effect, that's the right kind of sound can be a calming effect or an... Or an, an you know, a, a nervous effect on people depending on the sound as well. Like, it's very true. And uh, I don't know if you've heard about, there's a guy um, in America, they call him the Batman. He's like a guy who was born blind, but started to click with his, with his mouth when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And he almost can echolocate things. And the, he can, like, ride a bicycle, just walk down the street. He doesn't use a stick or a guide dog because the sound has translated for him into the visual cortex of his brain. So he's actually able to you know, see, just yeah. using sound as well. But I think we, we probably do that every day, actually. Yeah. We just don't realize it. Yeah, so again, this is this is a level of awareness that if you start to pay attention to your listening abilities, you can definitely train this. You became, can become much more aware of, uh, for instance, you know, awareness of a room through echolocation. Um, uh, and indeed, blind people are sort of more uh, prepositioned to actually use that. Uh, there's also research that shows um, uh, uh, the way dolphins communicate to themselves and with each other about things in their environment, which is exactly this, so seeing through hearing, so this, they send out ultrasonic signals, um, which then reflect from their environment, and what they get back in the reflection uh, is f full of information about actual objects and presences of other beings uh, in their surrounding. And uh, you know, current research has also been able to actually image these things oh, that, that yeah. dolphins see through hearing. Mm -hmm. well, that's incredible. Like, yeah. And um, tell me then, what, where can we go and experience um, this, this, these performances? Where can we go and experience this from, from you guys? Yeah, so there's, there is, uh, uh, we run the uh, small institute in Budapest, the Spatial Sound Institute, which um, hosts about 20 residency projects a year of very diverse topics. And uh, there's regular performances, so that's something that people in Budapest can experience. There's also uh, spaces that run their own programs based on our technologies in Berlin, in Vancouver, in, uh, there's in a few universities, Indiana University, Royal Ontario Museum has a permanent installation. So there's, there's places around the world where people can go for either specific experiences or sort of curated programs using this technology. Okay, excellent. We'll put some links on the, on the podcast as well. People can check it out. Like, Paul, thanks very much for coming along. Yeah, thank it's good you. to talk to you. Thank you as well. So I was joined today by Paul Oman. My name is Declan Hannigan. Our engineer today was Joel Kish. Okay, still recording, Joel, Jim? Yeah.